the book of Mark today. Would you pause with me and pray as we open up God's word together? Oh God, thank you for your Holy Spirit that inspired this word and, and now is connecting us as we get this chance to dive into Mark today. Would you speak to us now? In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. I love children's Bibles. I love finding them and seeing the vibrancy of the artwork and the stories. You see, every night we gather around as a family and I get the chance to read these stories. And as Josiah and Ava hear them, I'm also reminded of what's most important in these stories about, about Jesus and the redemptive narrative of what God is doing in this world. I am reminded about what matters most in each of these as I go through these stories. I looked through our children's Bibles. I looked through each one that we have, some really amazing, amazing books that I love from bookstores and now from online where I've been buying them. And I couldn't find one with the story that we're looking at today. The story that we're looking at today is omitted because what do we do with this story? I get it, it's a hard one. The miracle of Jesus' birth, the, the kindness of Jesus, the healing in people's lives, his death, his resurrection that brings salvation for us, these are non-negotiable. These are in every children's Bible. But an angry Jesus, a Jesus who's overturning tables, what do we do with this picture? Take a moment to open the scriptures with me. Mark chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 15. Mark chapter 11, verse 15 says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. I wonder if we realize what we miss, if we don't see and hear and reflect on God's response to injustice. What Jesus sees when he enters into this temple, when he looks and sees others blocking the way to God, his response is, is anger. I wonder if perhaps our, our kids don't know what to do with the human expression of anger because we just don't like to talk about it. In some of your families, that's definitely the case. Some of our families are very much averse to anger, or perhaps you've swung that way because there was so much anger in your home. Anger has destructive power, but it also has the power to open the way. Let's read a little bit more of the context. We're actually gonna rewind back up to verse 11 because we may not realize how intentional the action of Jesus was. Verse 11 says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. 
Picture Jesus, he's taking in the scene. He took in what was happening there in the temple, those who had tables up and those who were buying and selling. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Then, the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. This is the background and now Jesus enters the temple and he overturns tables. This action of Jesus was not a reaction. This was not a spontaneous anger that night before. He had seen what was going on. He took it all in. You can imagine him retiring to Bethany, prayerful, angry, wondering, asking God what to do. This was his response after sleeping on it. You've heard that, right? If you're angry, don't post. Don't post. Don't write that email. Don't press send. Save the draft and wake up in the morning and see if you still feel the same way. Jesus actually did that. He took it all in, he slept, he woke up the next day, and that anger fueled this action that he took. What was really behind it was a passion for people, a passion for people that were locked out, blocked out by a system, by a religious institution that had grown dry. Hear these words, these haunting words from Reinhold Niebuhr. The worst corruption is a corrupt religion. Sadly, some of you have found that to be true. Every time I hear your stories, I, uh, I just want to say I'm sorry. Because humans can be the best and can be the worst. And especially those who claim to be speaking and acting for God. So if you're tuning in, perhaps you're a part of this church family or you're just tuning in, you're dropping in today. If you've been hurt by religious people, by the religious establishment, by anyone bearing this title or this position, I'm sorry. I know this goes for me too because I'm human as well. It's so easy for us all to get fixated and locked in on, on things that don't matter and that end up blocking people in trying to get to God. So if you've been hurt, first, hear the heart of God. The heart of God is seen in Jesus' action, which opens the way. He overturns tables and drives out people so that each of us can get to God. Jesus. In this story leading up to this experience, Jesus walks up to the fig tree and he looks for fruit. He sees so much green. He sees so many beautiful leaves, but it masks the fact that there is no fruit. This tree is fruitless. The green and full leaves advertise something that upon closer investigation is just not there. It's fig season right now. Some of you have gorgeous fig trees and you've been sharing with us. I just had one for breakfast this morning. These figs are 
amazing. I'm so grateful for the generosity of church members who share their fruit with us. Our whole family loves them. Ava, Josiah, Caleb, and I, we split these open and look at the glorious fruit inside. It's amazing. That one will get eaten in just a moment. So good. You can imagine Jesus as he's looking at the tree. He wishes that he could have some figs. Now, the members of our church right now are saying, we just can't keep up with this fruit. Come get it. There's more being produced than we can eat. Their tree has leaves and also has fruit. But Jesus couldn't find any fruit there. Jesus was hungry. He wanted to take a bite out of a delicious fig. He wanted to satisfy his hunger. But it just wasn't there. It looked like it could be, but it just wasn't. All he found was leaves. Why was Jesus so angry? Just like him at that moment, this world is hungry. And he knew how desperate the people were, how hungry they were. The Savior lashed out and responded to what he saw, which was a religious establishment that had lost its heart. It had lost the heart for people. People were hungry and all they were finding was leaves. They were finding pretending or worse, people actively blocking the way to nourishment in God. What does it mean for our human communities like that temple, that religious institution, to be fruitless? to be practically dead, even though we advertise something different that people can't find nourishment there. The fruitlessness might not be obvious in us or in our individual lives, but it can be true. Jesus does extend kindness. Jesus is a healer. Jesus preaches all throughout the scriptures, and Jesus also overturns tables in anger. He drives away the gatekeepers who were making religion exclusive to a few, those who commoditize the pathway to God. Jesus said, my house is to be called a house of prayer for all people. This is God's will that everyone would have access to me. Jesus was so angry because the temple was meant to be a place for pouring out oneself for others, a place of service to God, to neighbor, and to the world. The temple was the place you came and you left better able to serve the world. The place had become inward, focused on the individual, self-serving instead of answering the call to God to outward-reaching, inclusive serving, self-sacrificing for everyone. The institution of the church can easily turn into this too. The church in America today is tempted with a spiritual life that is individualistic. Instead of focusing on how I affect you and how all of us are a community having influence over one another and affecting one another, we can just be drawn to this inward experience where am I right with God? Not realizing that being right with God means rightness with neighbor 
and how I treat others. We need to look back in gratitude at our Protestant roots. You see, Protestantism is a historic commitment to the ongoing act of reformation. On October 31, we remember and celebrate the day that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the church door in Wittenberg. On that day, we remember that there was a desire for the church to be reformed. Yet reformation didn't stop there. As Seventh-day Adventists, we embrace the reality that there is an ongoing reformation God desires to have in the people of God. That as we open up ourselves, as we call to God, that God comes close and changes us. Come near to God and he will come near to you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will turn and hear them and heal their land. There's this reformation. It's not a one-time act, but it's a process of God reforming the people of God to be more attuned to the heart of God. It's easy to recognize how we can all fall into this pattern how the people of God can simply be doing the outward motions, the leaves, but no fruit. Just as Jesus encountered that day, we can become dry and institutional at best, gatekeeping and exclusive, actively blocking the way of God to others at worst. Let's go on and read the final part of this passage. It says here that when evening came, Jesus and the disciples went out of the city. Notice that Jesus drove them all out, then he sits down and he teaches other sections that tell this story. Other gospels share that all of the lame came to him, that those who were broken, those who were hurting, those who were on the edges, those came and found their place with Jesus. And he stays from morning till evening, he stays with them. And it says that in the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if you say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and do not doubt in your heart, but believe what you say will happen, it will be done for you. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. Verse 25 brings us such hope as we are seeking to be a people of prayer, a people alive as the people of God. It says here, this text draws us to this renewed commitment to the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, this amazing miracle of grace is forgiveness and being forgiven. Ethicist Donald Shriver says that this grace is to live and love as a community of forgiven forgivers. That's what we are, Azure Hills Church family, forgiven forgivers. Shriver stresses the interdependent nature of repentance and forgiveness. Forgiveness loses its moral integrity apart from repentance, and repentance apart from forgiveness remains fruitless in our human relationships. We need forgiveness and we need to forgive. 
the prayer and reading of scripture that you engage with opens you up to these experiences of grace with God and with others. We live as a community of grace, forgiving and being forgiven. This shows in how we pray, this shows in how we read, this shows in how we act. Each piece matters. The being, knowing who I am, being God's child, the knowing, knowing and understanding the scriptures, and also the doing. Each part matters in our faith because if you don't have doing, the other becomes dry and withered. If you don't have the being or the knowing, the doing loses its purpose and its meaning. We need each part. Dean Thompson calls these two being forgiven and forgiving the two spirit-filled streams that flow in and out of each other. This passage today isn't just for the church. It's for me. It's for you. What, God, do you want to overturn in my life? What do you want me to do in order to make my life and this house a house of prayer for all people? How do you want me to open up the way for others? And yes, how do you even want to have greater access to my heart? We can get into survival mode. We can find new ways of coping and then we tune out the rest because it's too much. It's survival. But this is the time when everything is upended. Nothing is as it was. I walked into a store a few days ago and I waited on my X, a tape on the ground in the form of an X and I stood there on that X underneath an easy up for 10 to 15 minutes before I was able to go into the store because only a certain number of people are allowed in the store at a time. If I had told you six months ago that this would be the case today, you wouldn't have believed me. So much has changed. This last Sunday, we had a wedding, and instead of lingering long around a table with food and celebrating and congratulating the couple, we took our to-go boxes, and we ate those at a place where we could remove our mask and eat them safety, safely. So much has changed. Now when you leave the house, right? Keys, wallet, mask. You make sure you have each part. We didn't do this before. This is different. Everything is changed. For the people of God through the ages, when things were not as they were, it was a call back to God, to seek God's face. Brothers and sisters, this is our call back. Things are not as they were, and we are invited, called back, to be a house of prayer, to pray and to be a part of the way that is opening for all people. Don't get caught up in spending all your time wondering if this is the end. Studying the scriptures is a really powerful thing in my life and in yours. But we can go to two extremes here. We can either become so despondent or discouraged or, or just surviving that we just fixate on entertainment and we binge watch and entertainment's not bad, but we just focus there. Then there's the other side. We can study and study 
and look at the end times and even sometimes become worried and fearful. And you know what? Both can be inward. Both can be fixated on self, either tuning out the world this way or tuning out the world in another way as we, is this the end time? Can I piece together these parts? Scripture study is beautiful. And entertainment, there's nothing wrong with some entertainment. Only if it doesn't cause me to tune out to the anger that would cause me to have passion for others and a passion towards calling on God. Because God calls us to seek God's face, to focus on pouring out and making a difference. God desires this disruption, the upending of things in our lives to lead us back to seeking God's face and making a difference in the world. When Jesus upended the tables, it was to give others greater access to God. Those on the margins and the edges of faith, those who were blocked out by the religious system, he was confronting those very systems that were inequitable for people, that were blocking the way. There's not a problem with these things, but either one can become individualistic and can cause us to miss what we're called to right now. Is this a call to prayer for us right now, for healing, for unity? As I've been praying in these last weeks and months, I keep hearing God inviting me back to, I call on you to pray. I call on you all, the church, to pray because action that makes a difference in the world starts with a call to prayer. That's what I keep hearing. Pray for this world, pray for our nation, pray for healing, pray for this virus, pray for the scientists who are finding a solution, pray for those who are suffering right now. But go back to anger for a moment. Where does anger fit in? The story doesn't appear in the children's stories because it's hard to know what to do with anger. But perhaps we do our children a disservice and we do ourselves a disservice if we don't hear the full impact of this story right alongside the stories of healing and preaching and kindness is the story of anger, of passion that drives to anger, which drives to action. Some of us hesitate to be angry. Some of us are angry right now. But some quickly want to move away from being angry, perhaps fearful that if you're angry, if you let yourself be angry, then it will overtake your whole life. This text gives you permission to be angry. Let me just stop and say that for a moment. This text gives you and I permission to be angry. Maybe you've lost your passion for prayer because you've also lost anger. You're no longer angry. You watch the television and you feel nothing. You see the news and, and you don't feel anything. Or perhaps you see the news and you feel angry and you stop there. Our anger is meant to drive us forward, to drive us towards passionate action that makes a difference in the world. It's to drive us forward towards prayer, to inform everything that we do. What's making you angry? Stop for a second and think, what is making you angry? Just like Jesus, do you have things that you see that you know are not right? And how is God calling you to let that anger change how you interact with the world? Not to stay there and be overwhelmed by that anger, but to allow God to move you forward 
to passionate action on behalf of others. This passion speaks about the anger of Jesus over systems that excluded others. If we truly tune into hearing this story, if we see Jesus for who he is, we will care more about others. It will lead me to invest more, to work more intentionally, to open up the way of God for all people. I reflected on this question as I studied this passage. What makes me angry? Anger rises up in me when people share Bible studies that raise fear in people, especially about the end times, especially right now, without connecting people to the sweet gift of assurance and trust in Jesus. Anger rises in me when people block the way for others to come to God, excluding and telling people that they can't belong to God or to the church. Anger rises in me when people are unable to hear the pain of those around them, when we've lost our ability to listen, that we're so polarized and separated that we can't even hear the person in front of us before we begin categorizing them. Oh, you're one of those. What makes you angry? Linger on this question for a moment. What makes you angry? And could it be that God's placed that very anger in you to inform how you show up in the world? We lived in Pennsylvania for close to nine years, and if you've never been to a Quaker service, you also might not know what to expect. I visited one day to a worship, a Quaker worship, and as I was visiting there and found a seat, I experienced the silence and the togetherness of that time. So I smiled as I read this story. A woman described entering a Quaker meeting without knowing what to expect. She's puzzled because the people around her are sitting in prayerful silence. She waits and waits, but nothing is happening. When does the service begin? She whispers to the person sitting next to her. When we leave, the person responds to her. When we leave, when we leave. For the people of God, we come to God's presence. We are renewed in prayer. We read the scriptures and it causes us to be people of service, people ready to pour out in the world because of what we have been given. Yes, for the people of God, the service begins when we leave. The service begins when we leave because we have been changed by encountering this God. Changed by the word of God, we leave ready to show up in the world in a different way because of it. Professor George Dewey Carter once preached a powerful and prophetic sermon that is now on a plaque in Louisville in the seminary outside the chapel. And I wanna share with you what's on this plaque as we close out our time together today. And I wanna invite you to think about how God is moving you, perhaps to look at anger, perhaps to think about the reformation God can work during this time, perhaps to think about the ways that you are called to open up the way for others. He says this, it is not enough to profess, we have to practice. It is not enough to talk, we have to do. It is not enough to promise, we have to embody that promise. 
It is not enough to say, ain't it awful? We have to get close enough to get hurt. <laughs> that was Jesus on that day. That was Jesus on that day when he saw what was happening. He left, he retreated, he prayed, he slept. He came to it the next day. And he overturned the temple system. He drove people out that were blocking the way for others. And he declared, my house is to be called a house of prayer for all people. How does this inform how you view God and how you respond today? This call is a call to prayer and it is a call to action.